Hi, welcome back to the She Built This podcast. I have a super interesting conversation for you today that I think is going to help to open up some new perspectives and give you some new ideas and also maybe even increase your awareness in the words that you're choosing to use and also the words that you're seeing used in organizations or businesses or places that you live and work. So, It's going to be a fun one um, and all kind of about the way that we influence language and also the way that language influences us. And if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you probably know that each month I sort of choose like a theme or I should say historically, I've chosen kind of like a theme to fit all of the conversations into. So for this month, specifically in November, I was kind of like, all right, I want to touch on the topics of reciprocity and relationships. But you can see how that's like a really, really kind of big theme. So this conversation with Emily Nichols fits into the reciprocity and the relationship that we have with each other and also how language is a part of that, how the words that we're choosing are able to make people feel more connected and also um, more disconnected, right? So more alone. And that's really what we're kind of getting into in this conversation today. Emily Nichols and I originally met at a meeting of the Emilies. I always say there's, there's, I've never met an Emily that I didn't like. Well, except that one at summer camp when I was a kid. Anyway, we originally met at a meeting of the Emilies. <laughs> it was three Emilies and a Laurel. Um, and we were doing like this business brainstorming day at Laurel's Beach House in, in Maine. And I got the chance to meet Emily in person for the first time. And she says in this interview that there really is something about her a video and also her, definitely her in-person presence that just uh, takes you in. It really is captivating. And she has this passion and aliveness and joy for life that is, I would say, very uh, infectious. Yes, that's the word I want, infectious. When I met Emily, I knew she was whip smart. I knew that she had some really unique creative ideas. And I also got to hear that how she brought together her love of like the technical aspect of our brain and also the really, really human parts of us, that really, really human spin. And as you can probably imagine, that human spin really, really just made my heart sing. And I was like, oh my gosh, I love her message. I love her. Fast forward to a couple of years later, and Emily has gone on to create a TEDx talk. And it is a really powerful talk. I am going to include the link in the show notes, and I encourage you to watch it for yourself. But I wanted to bring her on to talk a little bit about her her talk and share with us some of these unique concepts and ideas and some of the research she's done about quote unquote being one of the guys. So we're going to get into that in this episode and also how our words really shape our world and how we can more intentionally shape our world using our words. A little bit about Emily, whether she's speaking from the stage or the factory floor, Emily Nichols nudges technical people to embrace those human skills so they can become better problem solvers, team players, and leaders. A professional engineer with decades of experience in manufacturing and innovation, Emily has improved products and processes from breakfast cereal to automated pont paint and electrical steel. She easily connects at levels of organizations, inspiring deeper understanding and collaborative teamwork. She has a Bachelor of Science in Systems Engineering and a Master's of Science in Chemical Engineering. She summarized her master's thesis in five Dr. Seuss rhymes. See, I told you she was creative. Okay, 
Without further ado, let's just head right into this conversation, shall we? Welcome to the She Built This podcast, where we are sharing the stories of professionals and entrepreneurs who are on a mission to create the new norm by following their dreams and making them a reality. I'm your host, Emily Aborn, and together we are inspiring, growing, and giving you the tools you need to bring ideas to life so you can build whatever this means for you. Hi, Emily. Welcome to the She Built This podcast. Thank you, Emily. Happy to be here. I always love chatting with other Emilys. I don't know what it is, but it's just like we share a we share a common bond. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So I read your bio. I just want to jump in because we have such an interesting and unique topic that I have never, ever covered on this show. Um, so I read your bio before you joined us, but I always like to hear like in your own words, a little bit about your story, like a little bit about the human behind what you're doing and like really what kind of brought you here and how long you knew you were supposed to be doing what you're doing now. Oh, how long? Hmm. Well, you know, the question people often ask me is, uh, it seems like kind of a big jump from professional engineering to professional speaking. So how did that happen? And uh, it turns out that actually speaking has always been a part of my career. Uh, right from my very first job, there was always some element of speaking. Um, sometimes that was teaching workshops, uh, short training courses, um, and even getting comfortable speaking in small groups on the factory floor. Um, I was recruited into a group of people that would go to other plants to give workshops and things like that. And so it's just, it has always continued to be part of my career. Um, there was a time when I was working for an engineering consulting firm for a short while, and we offered public courses on, wait for it, multivariate statistics. Um, so I used to, <laughs> I used to teach that. And you know, what I loved about that is it's a very technical topic, um, but I love the challenge of being able to explain it in words that everybody could understand. Um, and so, yeah, over time, I just, I did a little bit more and more of the speaking. And one year I got asked to come and speak to a student group on campus and it was my birthday. And I thought like, this has got to be the best birthday present ever. I get to go impart, uh, whatever wisdom I can share with these, uh, engineering graduate students. And so, you know, I'm just, I was starting to become a little bit more aware of how, much of a thrill that brought me to be able to get up in front of a group. And uh, yeah, now it's evolved into my business. Okay. So I didn't even see this correlation before, but this is very exciting because the bonus episode I did right before this is about speaking and my own speaking journey. And some of the things that I've learned from it, like you, I have always had that sort of drive to incorporate speaking and teaching into what I'm doing. So now I want to like shift gears and say, okay, what, why a TED talk at TEDx, I think is technically the term. And like, mm -hmm. well, were you nervous about going for that? Where'd you get the idea for that? When were you like, this is my next thing? Hmm. Well, you know, lots of uh, professional speakers. So, I mean, people who speak as their main source of income, um, lots of us uh, want to have a TED talk. It does help with visibility um, getting your message out to more people. Um, and some people, speakers, experts, pursue it for a long time. 
right? There are lots of TEDx events all around the world and it's quite competitive in many cases to get a TEDx talk. So there's a whole industry around it. People often ask me like, how do you get a TEDx talk? And I tell them it's like finding a job because Mm -hmm. every single TEDx event is organized independently. Uh, They have their own speaker selection criteria. They have their own ideas for a theme and what they're trying to achieve at their event. So you have to research, find out their theme, you know, just like researching a company to write a cover letter, you have to find out what it is that they want and figure out whether your topic is a fit. Um, So it was always on my mind that it would probably for the last, I don't know, five or six years, it was on my mind that it would be nice to have a TED talk, but also I didn't want to get into the whole applying all the places and doing all the research. I just thought this was an opportunity that might come up for me, might not. And last year when the call for speakers came out for the one that's right here in Hamilton, where I live, TEDx McMaster U, it's called, um, their theme was legacy. Their theme was legacy. And I thought, oh yes, this topic will be a great fit and I'm local. So, you know, I, Sometimes they want to find local speakers. I don't know for sure that that's why they chose me, but I am local and my topic was a perfect fit for the theme uh, that they were looking for. How did you go about, well, I guess developing your topic, but also pitching it and presenting it in a way that was like that, that make them choose you? Um, well, one of the fun parts about most TEDx applications, I mean, the ones that I've seen, I haven't seen that many, but um, they usually want a video as well Mm. as some kind of written application. So you get a chance to be yourself on camera. And I think that's where I shine. When people have seen me speak, they can see what my energy is like. And it's kind of the best medium for me. Um, So it worked out well. And as for the topic, the message, how I developed that, it was just something that had been on my heart and mind for a long time. And just like little by little, I was wanting to say more about it and figuring out how um yeah just wanting to to share what was the experience of being a woman in engineering in a manufacturing plant in the middle of the night you know and and how alone that could sometimes feel I want to get into your topic and I want you also to know that there's going to be a link in the show notes to the TEDx talk so people can go watch it from here so like everything we allude to make sure that you check out the show notes and you go visit and and watch it for yourself um because Emily is right there is something about seeing her on video and on camera and like experiencing her energy that you probably are not even able to replace through this podcast it's very close uh but it's not 100% so make sure you watch the video Um, so I want to talk about being one of the guys, right. And your, your question, like why, or do we need to be one of the guys? Why is that not great? Like, why isn't that ideal in this world? Yes. Well, since we're talking about the power of language, I just want to flag that the full title of my TEDx talk is what if we didn't have to be one of the guys. And you know what, Emily, if I had it to do over, I would pick a different title. Okay. Tell me more. Um, If I had it to do over, I would choose the title. Are you one of the guys? Ooh, yeah. Because do you feel the difference? Well, you tell me what, what's the difference you feel if you feel one? I think if I hear, what if you didn't have to be one of the guys? I think, well, I'm not. (laughs) That's what I come up with, but it could be a different experience for everybody. (laughs) It it totally could. But um, by saying, what if we didn't have to be one of the guys. 
I think a lot of people get the idea that it's a message for women mm. and it is, but it's also very important to me that it reaches men and people of all genders. So I think if I could go back and give it a new title and call it, are you one of the guys that's a much more, Hey, this is for everyone kind of title. Well, maybe when you write the book, you can yeah, call maybe. it, are you one of the guys? All right. So talk to us about what that mean, what that meant to you, what that means to you and like how you kind of open up that conversation. Right. So it does really start with this word guys. Um, you know, when I was in engineering school, there weren't very many women in my program. Um, and that's just kind of how it was. And so being one of the guys when I was in engineering school, when I was in my early engineering career, it really was like a badge of honor. If you could fit in and be one of the guys, like that's what you were going for. Cause well, I mean, you want that feeling of belonging, right? You want to be accepted. Um, <clears throat> mm. And so uh, that's, that's the question. And I hoped through my TED talk to kind of give people a little slice of the experience of what it is like to need to do that, um, to try to fit in and, and prove that you belong to, um, to find your place. And my, my attitude about that just it changed over the years right um or it became clearer to me like even in my first job I can remember thinking like if I don't learn how to play golf I am not going to be able to move up in this organization um right and I'm not saying golf is a man's sport but um <laughs> more men play golf than women and uh it was just something that was a shared interest by most of the people in my department but I was like I don't want to put all that like that's a huge commitment of time and expense to learn to play a sport you're not interested in uh, you know just so that you can be doing the same social activity that might help move you up the ladder right so all the way back to the beginning I can remember that feeling but I probably ignored it most of the time right I think I think and I tell me if I'm wrong in this but I think in a lot of professional settings and also a lot of social settings being one of the guys means you're like the cool chick, right? The one that's laid back, the one that's funny, the one that is not quite as sensitive. Um, so it, you're right. <laughs> like it really is that sort of like, oh, she's in, you know? Um, so I just want to kind of echo that experience. Like having, I actually had like a lot of guy friends growing up and I was always quote unquote, one of the guys meaning, oh, she's in. Right. So yeah. I just don't worry say, about like, her. She's cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I keep going on this and just like, tell us like, what is wrong with that? And even, I mean, I did used to correct uh, some of my guy friends when they would call me dude or bro. I'd be like, I'm not, I'm not a dude or bro. Please don't say that. Please don't call me man. Like, I really don't like it. <laughs> it's very annoying. <laughs> so tell us like, what's wrong with this? What's wrong with these like sweeping generalizations? Well, um, it turns out that these sweeping generalizations reinforce the idea that you need to blend mm. in to fit in, that you somehow need to be the same to fit in. And um, so the, the, the whole idea is, wouldn't it be nice if we could just be who we are and still be accepted? Um, I think I heard Brene Brown say recently that uh, the opposite of belonging is fitting in. I think I heard her say something like that recently, right? Um, so it's just interesting when you're always 
uh, fighting to fit in, you are losing some of that belonging. You're losing a little piece of yourself. And I just want to highlight, Emily, that I had uh, mostly really great career experiences. So these things, um, that's why I, I, I'm 20 years out of university now. And this was the year I gave this TED Talk, right? This, this wasn't how I felt two or three years in. This is the cumulative effect of that feeling for 20 some odd years, right? And, uh, and so it, for me, it highlights how the little things make a big deal in the long run. People calling you dude or bro or, you know, needing to be interested in the same activities. And and I don't want to just, um, I know that we're going to talk about gender in a little bit and like open that up bigger, but I, I also don't want to just toss the, the male version of this under the rug because we do it as women too. Like, Hey ladies, or, you know, like just basically assuming that everyone in the room is like us and wants to identify us and wants to belong under that umbrella. So, I try to be cognizant of that too in conversations with groups, like not to say guys, not to say ladies, not to say, I don't know what else I would say, but, um, so give us some alternatives. Like what are some good, like, let's say we're trying to address a group of people or our listeners. Um, what's a good way that we can kind of like think outside the box in addressing people in an, a more inclusive way. Oh, I, I love this. There's so much scope for creativity. Um, so if you want to drop the word guys, if you want to stop saying ladies, you know, um, you could say everyone, right? That's the mm. best default. Everyone uh, depends how far south you live. Maybe y'all feels like a fit. We don't really say y'all in Canada. I, I think maybe we should. Hannah Gadsby pointed out it's the it's the most inclusive second person plural pronoun. I think <laughs> so we, all we should. should all it's so it. fun. <laughs> um. But I also like to be creative. So you live in New Hampshire, I live in Ontario. And when I did a presentation for a New Hampshire group a while back, I, I know I threw out something like um, uh, the granite staters. And then I paused and I said, like, do you all really call yourselves that? And they laughed, you know? And so it's, uh, it's great to go out and find out what those words are. Uh, those words that refer to where people are from is called a demonym. So the demonym for, I live in Hamilton, the demonym for Hamilton is Hamiltonians. Um, but uh, if you look up different cities, they, there can be some demonyms that are really fun to say, like Winnipeggers, <laughs> yellow knifers, um, you know? And, uh, and so that's one of my go-tos for creativity. You can also think about what the group has in common. Like you're really into podcasting. So if you're in a group where, everybody is uh, a fan of podcasts you can say hey podcast fans hey podcasters um yeah it's just about giving a little bit more thought to what people have I love that and really thinking about okay what is actually the source of connection or belonging in this specific group so when we're just talking about these individuals because I think that builds more of that connection and that sense of belonging right um, instead of alienating people. So here's the question for you. And I think that it probably relates. I think that using these terms and perpetuating these terms and making them part of our co common vernacular, such as one of the guys and ladies and all of that. I do think that it's, uh, influencing the issue, which I can't believe is still on the table in 2023 of the fact that there are still pay gaps based on gender. And I want to know, in your opinion, what you've seen behind the curtain as far as the pay gap with gender um, and also why that is even like still a thing. Um, 
Right. Well, first of all, I'm not the expert on this. We have to look to Claudia Golden, who just won the Nobel Prize in economics for her work on uh, labor force participation of women. And uh, so, so here's the thing. It's a different story whether you look at the big picture or you hear individual stories. Uh, you, there are definitely individual stories of, of women in tech, women in trades, who I personally know um, doing the same job and finding out that a man is being paid more to do that exact same work. Um, so that is still happening. Uh, when we look at things at the macro level, uh, Claudia Golden says that more of the gender pay gap has to do with uh, time flexibility mm -hmm. and that there is a, a great premium that people earn in the workforce if they are willing to be available all the time so that your clients can call you at two in the morning. Or I think she gave the example of like, send you to Japan to sign off on a merger and acquisition. You know, that sort of availability, um, uh, it goes for a premium in the, in the marketplace of work. And uh, that for many women, uh, even the ones who don't have kids, have additional care responsibilities. And so they need that time flexibility. And that tends to put them into... Uh, professions and even specific jobs within professions that have a little bit more flexibility and tend to pay less. Okay. Thank you for that. And again, I guess that goes back to that, that assumption, right? Like I assume, okay, this has to do with the way that we're still addressing people in the workplace. And you're like, actually, there's a lot more to it. So it really is about like looking through the layers and analyzing things through, from a different lens, which I always appreciate that you do. Like you just bring a fresh new perspective and like ask the questions that nobody else is asking. So I love that. Um, one of the things that I know you say in your talk, and I'm going to paraphrase or totally butcher your quote entirely, but basically that we shape the words that we use shape our world and the words that we use shape us. So I'm curious as to what that means to you. And also like, okay, then how can we start using language, using our words in a way that really creates a world that we are proud of and excited for and fosters more love and connection and those kinds of all the, all the happy feelings that we want in the world? Yes. Uh, so Emily, I'd love to answer this question in kind of like my perspective and your perspective. So let's first talk about um, <clears throat> engineering, manufacturing, and we're throwing around the word guys, right? There are still factories being built in 2023 that don't have adequate facilities for women. Mm. So the workforce is mostly men. And so the thinking by default, people desi design for the workforce they already have, uh, which means in many cases, a large changing uh, locker room, shower area uh, for men. And sometimes no facilities or much smaller area for women. And so that is a direct reflection of how our words shape our physical environment. Um, and I asked someone, I, I actually toured a plant that was under construction earlier this year. And I asked someone about the disparity between the area allocated for the men's locker room and the women's. And he said, well, we asked the women who work here and they don't shower at work. Well, okay, but that's designing for the workforce you have. Right. And the next uh, woman who walks through your, your door <laughs> may prefer to shower at work, you know? Um, 
And what do they see? They see that already there is an inequality in the amenities that are provided uh, for men and women. And I don't want to make this into like a completely binary issue too, right? We need to remember um, that we, we need facilities for people of all genders. Um, but yeah, this, this is still happening in 2023. And personal protective equipment is another thing, right? You're talking about the guys, you're one of the guys. It, it ignores some of the, the differences, um, frankly, that are not just gender-based, right? We need to provide personal protective equipment. I'm talking about things like for gloves and bodies, respirators yeah. for all bodies, right? And um, so the great thing is that if we make sure that we are making those things available, um, for women, it actually improves things for men as well, because not all men fit into this sort of um, normal, uh, so-called average uh, male body shape and type either, right? Um, so those are two examples where the words that we use become reflected in our physical world and it's kind of self-reinforcing. Um, but in terms of this overall message of words shape our world, I also thought about you and your business. Um, you are literally helping people craft the words that shape their business. The words that you use um, change what kind of clients come through the door, change how somebody feels when they land on your website, right? You, you are really creating a little world with your words, aren't you? It is so true. And like what keeps me going <laughs> through, the, through the hard times sometimes. Yesterday, this woman emailed me and she said, that I brought tears to her eyes because of how I made her passion shine through on her website. She's like, I've never been able to express my passion and my vision. And you helped me do it. Like, I feel like this is my passion and my vision on my site. And that to me is the biggest compliment I could ever receive because that's what I feel too, is like, it is attracting a certain kind of client depending on the language that we use, right? Whether we use casual or formal or, I mean, there's a whole spectrum. <laughs> Um, so I love that you brought up that example and I want to encourage people listening, like in your own content, you have the power to do that too, right? The words that you're choosing to use the more specific language that you're using or the more inclusive language that you're using, right? You have the power to also shape the people coming through your door. So super great point. <laughs> Not that I'm surprised. <laughs> um, did you want to keep going on that? Did I like interrupt you? No, I think. I think that that kind of makes the point. I mean, I've shared it, what it looks like from my perspective in, in engineering and manufacturing. And I think for a lot of your listeners, they're going to resonate with this point about the language on your website, right? Yeah. It's, it's about the language that you choose in your web copy, in your emails. If you're giving a speech, the, the words you use from the stage, how do those words make people feel? And if you're getting those words wrong, people generally don't tell you, right? They just go somewhere else. They vote with their feet. Um, and so it's a really great gift uh, if you find somebody who's willing to share with you, oh, you know, I don't think this was your intention, but here are some words you use that don't feel like a fit for me. I really like finding somebody that can give you that honest feedback in a kind way. Um, I also want to know what you would say to the person who is afraid of making a mistake. And so maybe they're relying on not saying anything or just saying things the way that they've always been said for fear of making a mistake? Mm -hmm. Well, the thing is that we're all making mistakes. I'm sure that when we listen back to this podcast, we're going to hear a couple things that you and I will wish maybe we said differently. Um, that's just life. 
we we have to make mistakes or else we're not moving forward. Um, I want to encourage people to think about uh, that it doesn't need to be adversarial. So if somebody asks you to use different language, <clears throat> it's not, if somebody asks you to use different language, it doesn't need to be something you need to defend yourself from. It's an, a, a learning opportunity. And so it's kind of flipping into that growth mindset and being appreciative for any and all feedback that you get. Not to say you have to take on every bit of feedback you get in life, but you know, when it comes to your language, somebody says, oh, you know what? I, I think it would have been more clear or more inclusive, more welcoming if you said this instead. If your first reaction can be thank you, then you can defer the analysis of it until later, right? And maybe even open up to asking more questions. Like, tell me more about that. Like, what does that feel for you? What does that bring up in your body? You know, all of those kinds of curiosity questions that I think just help you to get more clear. Yes, for sure. And I, I think also just accepting that there's a certain awkwardness sometimes, like in life, in leadership, in business, and being okay with that. Um, because it can strengthen relationships, right? If you just like, oh, we had this awkward conversation and it was a bit difficult to get through, but then we understood each other better at the end. Um, just, just being okay with things being a little awkward now and then. Okay. Speaking of awkward, <laughs> um, I have heard in my experience that there are people who still struggle to feel comfortable using words like they like, pro, like what, basically something other than he, she, I'm just going to say yeah. it like that. Um, so what would your response be to people who are still struggling to kind of get with the, the modern vernacular, which truly is changing. It is evolving before our eyes. Yes, it really is changing. I'll tell you a quick anecdote to illustrate for your listeners, um, how much it's changing. Yeah. So I went over to my friend's house in June, uh, to have supper and her two kids were there. So the four of us sat down for supper, my friend and I, her two kids. And um, one of the kids said, oh, mom, did the dog jump on them when they came in? And my friend said, it's okay. We know Emily's pronouns are she, her, so uh, we can use those. Um, now, this child is in uh, grade seven, I guess, preteen now, right? And I felt so honored that, you know, she didn't know me and she wasn't going to make an assumption about what my gender is or what pronouns I use. She was going to default to they, them. And that was the first time it's ever happened to me. And I just, I couldn't believe that great feeling like, whew, I'm not being pigeonholed. It was, it was so cool. So that's just a little anecdote to illustrate that the next generation is thinking about this differently. And yeah. so if we don't catch up, we pretty soon sound antiquated if we don't already. Um, and as for if it feels weird, okay, yeah, you're right. This is speaking of awkwardness. Um, <clears throat> another quick anecdote. Um, in one of the community groups that I'm in, we had someone who switched pronouns. They had been going by she, her, and they switched to they, them. And some people in the group kept slipping up, kept making a mistake. And I know it was frustrating to them. Um, so another friend and I who are both in the group, we, we were going for a walk one day and uh, we were talking about some things that were happening in the group. And he kept on slipping up and saying she referring to this person, right? And what I noticed is if I corrected him every time without interrupting the conversation, it, it seemed to build a better habit. So 
there's a couple pieces to this. It's a conversation between two people who trust each other, right? My friend and right. I are on this walk, right? And he's not getting defensive when I'm correcting him because he wants to make this change. And also, I am not saying a whole sentence when he says she, right? He says she and I just say they. And he, like, it doesn't really interrupt what he's saying, right? He gets a chance to correct it and continue his sentence. It doesn't feel like, I don't go, oh, you got it wrong again. No, no, no. Yeah. It's yeah. just like, he says she, I see they. And honestly, Emily, by the end of a, I don't know, like a 20 minute walk or something, he had it down. He had the pronoun changed. Um, not to say he didn't slip up again later, but I was just amazed at how well that really worked. You know, I have thought about it a lot because I've had to adapt a little bit the way that I even write for people like thinking about this for their websites. Like maybe we don't want to just say, you know, this is this person is coming home from work and dropping their briefcase and this person is putting their purse down. Right. So it it has felt to me at first, at first, very, very at first, it felt a little clunky. And then it started to feel like, oh, wait, this makes so much more sense. Like it makes more sense and it is more inclusive. So I love that technique of like having somebody that can kind of like insert the word for you every time that you make a slip up, even, you know, I'm just thinking of like it for helping people in written form, even using maybe the, um, search feature on like a Google doc, right. And searching to see if you put those pronouns in and if you could replace them easily with just they or them, because that is the true way to be inclusive is just say they or them. That is like the most inclusive pronoun there is. <laughs> yes. And if you find yourself writing something like himself slash herself, mm -hmm. uh, that's a, that's a clue right there, right? That's a big, awkward chunk of letters right there. Himself slash herself. And you don't need to say that anymore. You can just say themselves. Yeah. It sounds so much better. <laughs> um, okay. So on that note, I, I listen to a lot of Mignon Fogarty's the grammar girl podcast, and she brings on a lot of people that like basically are responsible for choosing what goes in the dictionary and like making these decisions on what new words to add and things like that. And I just, I'm sure that you have a similar fascination in this conversation of just like, I thought the dictionary was like what it is, you know, like I thought the dictionary is what they say goes, but I wanted to hear your thoughts on whether or not the dictionary is the true authority on language. And, um, yeah, I'll, I'll leave my question at that. Okay. Um, so when I turned 40, this book had come out that I could not wait to get. So this was my 40th birthday present to myself. The book's called because internet mm. understanding the new rules of language by Gretchen McCulloch. And, she speaks about um, how language has evolved on the internet in this book. And when she gets to chapter eight, it's called a new metaphor. And so she, she talks extensively about the idea that we think of the English language as if it is a book, right? A static entity where all the words live inside of two hardcovers. <laughs> um, and so she's presenting a new metaphor that language we shouldn't think of it as a book. We should think about it as a network because, of course, she's talking about language trends that would never show up in the dictionary because she's analyzing non-formal, uh, informal sources, right? Like tweets and emails and stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> Mom, if you're listening, you need to read this book. <laughs> she will be listening because I'm going to share it with her. This is exactly okay. the conversation we were having the other day. So, 
it's so funny that you mentioned your mom too because I think of my mom when I think of the dictionary when I was a kid you know if I needed how to know how to spell something or what something meant like mom was the source of knowledge right mom what about this what about this and she would say look it up in the dictionary she said it so many times um so yeah we think of our moms there's this great line in Gretchen's book she says the creative capacity of language is greater than its entire recorded history Oh, I love that. Isn't it great? Especially for you. I mean, since you do words for a living, the creative capacity of language is greater than its entire recorded history. Um, And she just points out how any given day you can write a sentence that's never been written before. Um, And and so there's that, but there's another piece to the puzzle. And um, I also, in preparation for my TED Talk, I read this book called Word by Word by Corey Stamper. Uh, Corey is a lexicographer and she gets into more technical detail about whether or not we should think about the dictionary as the authority on language. Um, Now in my TED talk, I said this in um, simpler words uh, because plain language is one of my values. I, I said dictionaries don't dictate, dictionaries describe the way you and I speak and write. And the more technical term for that is um, descriptivism versus the old way of thinking about dictionaries, prescriptivism. Mm, Yeah. Oh my God. This has been inspiring in so many ways. And I now have two, two or three new books on my to be read list. So thank you so far. (laughs) Maybe one more to come. Uh Oh, (laughs) I know. Um, But anyway, Corey goes into this detail about um, prescriptivism, where we thought about Uh, good language has habits as being somehow morally right. Like whether our grammar is correct or not is being correlated with whether we are a a good person. Um, And that kind of goes along with this idea of of prescriptivism, that there's one right way to do things. Uh, And then she goes on to describe how most modern dictionaries are descriptivist in nature. That is, they go looking for samples of the ways people are using words today and they update the the, uh, dictionary entries accordingly. This was so fun and fascinating. Um, And I just want, I want to say thank you for like opening up, which I knew you would do. You would just open us up to new ideas and perspectives. Um, And I want to make sure that you give people a, like the exact title again of your TEDx talk and how to find and connect with you online and like what they could bring you in to do. And then I have one more question to take us home. Okay. All right. So, um, People can find me. Uh, my name is Emily Nichols. Of course, you'll see the, the links in the show notes. You can connect with me on LinkedIn. You can follow me on Instagram and also on YouTube. Those are the places that I'm most active. You can find me at my website, emilynichols.com. You can hire me to keynote your corporate event or your conference. I also MC events because I'm very passionate about creating great experiences for people. And an MC is really the person who connects the dots and, and brings all of the ideas together. Um, and uh, I also do some corporate training in, uh, in leadership. So um, those are the kinds of things you can bring me in for. And like I mentioned earlier, uh, given the topic of my TED, TEDx talk, people often think about me for uh, women's conferences, women's events, and I do love speaking to those. But the way that we really move the needle is by including everyone. Oh, I love it. Um, okay. Lastly, your last question. Are you ready for it? Ready. I want you to open up the doors of possibility and answer for me 
what if we didn't have to be one of the guys? Oh, (laughs) what if we didn't have to be one of the guys and we could just be ourselves and be fully accepted uh, the way we are, no matter our gender expression, it would be, it it would bring us a better world because we need, we need people of all kinds, people of all genders and races and experiences to get into engineering and build our world, right? Engineering and design, we tend to design for people who are like us and that means we need representation so that we're building for everyone. An engineer's duty is to serve the public and we need to be representing the public within our ranks so that we can be designing for the public. You heard it here first, (laughs) y'all. I was going to (laughs) say folks and then I changed my mind. Um, Emily, thank you so much. That was so well said. And you're welcome back on the She Built This podcast anytime. Thank you.